So, how long we got? Where's our destination today? I don't know. We got 20 miles to cover. Let's talk some movies. People don't know how to drive. Are we going to get lunch on this gig? You see anything good recently? Not really. Right, we got a little time, Steve. Let's do a podcast. Sounds good. I hear the train a-coming. It's rolling around the bend. And I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison. And time keeps dragging on. But that train keeps rolling on down to San Antonio. All right. We're back with another edition of Film Driven. I'm Andre Shane. I'm Steve Haskin. Welcome back. And uh, as you could probably tell, we are not currently driving as we normally are. No, we are uh, still still not back to uh, driving to gigs, as is our want. But uh, it's crazy times. Still. Absolutely, absolutely. Yet somehow we have managed to pick up a hitchhiker, uh, our old friend uh, D.P. Carlson. Mr. Carlson, welcome to Film Driven once again. Hi, Andre. Hi, Steve. How are you guys doing today? You, you surviving in your pent-up, closed-door situation? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Feeling right. a little bit, a uh, little bit incarcerated, guys. That works good. That works good with the theme for our show because uh, we're going to discuss prison movies today, right? That's correct. Yay! That's correct. <laughs> I don't know why, but prison movies are w- one of my favorite genres, and it just seemed like such a such a give me topic to talk about while we're all like confined to our houses with our Wi-Fi, a limitless supply of stuff to watch, and uh, uh, hopefully our loved ones as well, which is nice. Uh, but uh, prison movies, Steve, exciting, uh, exciting genre for these times. Been with yeah, us for a long yeah. time. Uh, As we discussed, neither one of us are that much into uh, pandemic movies, but uh, but something about uh, experiencing the prison, because almost like Tiger King, Andre, and when I go watch a prison movie, I can be like, well, those people have it worse than me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's you know that's sort of what I why I think prison movies is so popular is because there's there's this sort of anti wish fulfillment element. You know, like some things you watch because you kind of would be interested in experiencing this life, and with prison films and occasionally war films as well, you watch because you don't want to go anywhere near that situation. So the movies allow you to experience and uh, without actually going. To prison. Yes. That's yes, right. Yes. Well, I, um, I'm lucky enough not to have been to prison, and uh, I know you guys haven't either yet. We don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> we'll see how long this uh, pandemic goes. We'll see what, what comes out of it. Exactly. It might, you know, it might happen, like if we need to get a haircut or, uh, uh, you know, just, just go out without a face mask. That might happen. So I guess... Uh, we could just start talking about our favorite prison movies, and we'll give a couple of recommendations down the line as well. But, uh, Dave, why don't you get the ball rolling on this? Okay, cool. Well, 
I guess for me, when you, when you first gave me the assignment or invited me, I thought like, you know, what, what, what films spoke to me as I was, as a film goer. And I, so I, I went back and I revisited a bunch of films that were prison pictures. I didn't delve into to much new stuff other than what you re recommended to me. We'll get, we'll get into later. But I remember when I was a kid seeing brute force, um, from 1947 at a very early age, because my uncle who turned me on to movies used to record everything on his Betamax back in the in the eighties, right? And the and, and so I'd go to his house and spend the night with my cousins and I'd watch like, you know, here's three Raul Walsh pictures, here's, you know, three Michael Curti, or here's Blancaster, or here's Mitchum, or here's Bogey, and I'd I'd absorb like three or four films at a time um overnight. And um Brute Force was one that stuck out to me. And so it was fun to go back and watch that again. It was directed by this guy Jules Dassin, I think his name is. He did like three or a bunch of pictures before he got blacklisted in Hollywood and ended up going to Europe and doing more, more pictures, right? But, but you know, this is like the, the the sort of a film noir classic now with like Burt Lancaster along with his other guys in prison um, who decide they want to break out. And this is one of those prison films that basically gives you a flashback of everybody's life before they came to prison, and you find out, you know, in nearly all cases, nobody really deserved to go, you know. And if they did, it was because they they did the morally right thing by killing somebody or being caught up in something. So I think for me, maybe at an early age, that was one of my first introductions to like, wow, these guys don't deserve to be in prison you know um but but i think more 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 curiously with the film is it, when i was watching is it's very brutal um and and hume cronin plays this guard there who uh who really manipulates everybody either through just straight up violence or uh you know finding people who want to narc on other prisoners and using them to his advantage and also he could kind of control who was up for parole or not based on their behaviors so there was one of these films where you get a sense early on about how people could have this sort of sadistic mentality you know with their with their with the prisoners and it wasn't just bad enough they were in jail but they were being messed with you know by the by the guards or the or the warden i don't know if you guys found that out when you were watching certain films you know that type of behavior absolutely well it's it's funny i love brute force man it's that movie lives up to to its name right i mean it is brutal as hell for the time it's almost shocking how nasty that movie gets and uh and the characters are great, too. And like what you mentioned, Hume Cronin in that movie is such a dick. You don't think of Hume Cronin as a dick, usually in his filmography. But he is really, really nasty in, that, in this movie. And, uh, and, and it's definitely an archetype in a lot, of, uh, a lot of prison films. The nasty warden, the figures of authority that are uh, messing with you, that are... That are that are oppressing you beyond your just intrinsic oppression because, you know, obviously prison films present kind of a metaphorical microcosm of society, right? You're, you're kind of stuck there, right? You've been put there. You may not necessarily want to be here, but here you are. And, um, and you got to just deal with it. And on top of that, you got the main figure of authority that's literally fucking with you every step of the that's way. Right. And that, that is a constant in a lot of, a lot of prison movies and uh and depending you know and i would say in most of them there's that element you know although sometimes you know the warden can be a lot nicer than uh, other times but hume cronin is certainly a world-class uh, asshole in that film yeah and that film's pretty easy to find if people want to check it out i mean um i think i actually caught it on a youtube there was a nice post of it up there so I was able to, to watch it, a pretty clean version of it. So I'll definitely, you know, um, 
check it out if you're into film noir. And if you're into Lancaster, I mean, you know, once that guy takes off his shirt and starts walking around, you know, and doing his Lancaster thing, it's like that guy is just one of my favorites. You know, it's uh, it's been so long since I've watched one of his pictures, but but that guy really knew how to. Um, you know, you know, command, command the frame, frame and, and yeah, story really well. Great, great, sure. great actor. That's for sure. And that's like, uh, Brute Force is like his second or third film, right? Only, I mean, he just kind of became a big star in The Killers, uh, probably the same year, right? That's right. right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I love, I love Brute Force and uh, highly, highly recommended. And um, it reminds me of, like, like, what, like if you're going to take... Brute Force, like a big ch- chunk of Brute Force, is about escape, right? I mean, it's it's sort of the escape film is a subgenre of the prison films, right? That's right. That's right. And, and interestingly, it, it kind of leads to this next picture that I watched because, you know, there, there's not a whole lot of social commentary in Brute Force. I mean, they talk in general about like, oh, you know, this, this sucks. We're not, you know, we're not getting this. We're not getting that. But it's really not about that. You know, um, but the, the other film that I chose was also um, an older one from 1954, Riot in Cell Block 11, uh, Don Siegel picture. And in that one in particular, I mean, that's all about social comment. You know, these guys know they're going to stay there. They know they're going to—they're not leaving the prison. But what they do is they kid—they they grab a, a guard and they kidnap and hold him hostage, and they—they um, want the warden and the governor to like change things going on at the prison. So that film specifically is all about changing things for the better. And at the time, back in the '50s, there was a lot of that shit going on in the states. You know, lots of prisons were having riots. Lots of stuff was going on, and, and the public was starting to understand that um, things had to change and you know behind the walls for the you know for the human condition of the prisoner itself so um, I don't know that that's like another theme too that we're starting to hint on too that uh, you know it's what happens within the four walls you know the the human side of things yeah absolutely and social rights are a big uh, big aspect of this genre right I mean you very often in in the film you've described and certainly well I mean you you could you name it, you know, from the television show Oz and uh, Orange is the New Black to uh, the French prison film uh, A Prophet that came out a few years ago that's really good. I mean, the social commentary is very, very prevalent and important theme in these films. And again, you have, it's another sort of sub-subgenre of the prison picture, right? You got, on the one hand, you have the escape film where the act of escaping becomes a huge part of it. And, and it's different in different films, right? Some films, like everything leads up to the escape, like in Brute Force or Escape from Alcatraz, another one that's one of my personal favorites. And, uh, and uh, other films, the escape happens like halfway through. And you find out the results of the escape, or even earlier than halfway through, like in Runaway Train, uh, another, you know, another favorite of mine, or The Great Escape, which is a prison film set during the war in a prisoner of war camp. Um, so, the, you know, so you got the escape movie, you got the social commentary, which most of them happen, but then you have other subgenre of, of subgenres in the, in the prison film, right? Yeah, you got the women's films, and you got the sports films, which is another interesting thing. <laughs> the sports prison films, yeah. 
semi-tough. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you got, you know, like the longest yard is, you know, a football movie. And victory oh, is a, yeah, is right, a soccer right, movie, exactly. <laughs> right? And body and soul mm-hmm. is a boxing movie uh, within the prison movie. So so I, it's hard for me to think of another, like, straight-up genre that is so flexible to incorporate like other genres within itself it's kind of kind of weird i know there's obviously western you could think of does that a lot of times where it's kind of sucks up other genres but man uh it's hard with with the with the prison movie so flexible and so much fun in within that context and you know also sci-fi movies right i mean there's like science fiction prison movies and television shows as well yeah so well, the social commentary stuff always kind of is interesting to me because there's social commentary about, you know, like treatment of prisoners and there's social commentary about like the nature of the justice system or like the system that would keep people coming back to prison. But a lot of times when they talk about the, the harsh conditions in the prison, um, one of the things I find almost all prison movies tends to do is kind of soft pedal what were the crimes that well, the reason these people are actually in prison, like if uh, you're making a movie that really goes into how shitty the warden is or how much the condition is, I mean, those things are accurate, but it's like, yeah, you're kind of downplaying the fact that some of these people were in here for some like maybe really bad crimes. Right, right, right. Or or even you have going in a completely different direction where the movie literally has its main char- character be basically not guilty at all. Yeah. And, yeah. and and basically completely takes all burden from us as an audience to identify with a murderer or or certainly a lifelong career criminal. And and I that always bothers me. Like like Dave, like you and I have talked about the Shawshank Redemption before and we've decided not to talk about the Shawshank Redemption in this thing because I think it's everybody's favorite prison movie and I know I personally didn't do not like that film. Uh, yeah, and I, I don't like. Yeah, I don't it. like. I don't. I don't like it either. But you know, I'll, I'll transition back to to ride in cell block eleven because when I was watching that picture again, you know, the, the actors that are in there. Well, first of all, the producer who who made it, this guy named Walter Wagner, he was he was in prison and he came out and he wanted to tell a story about it. He hooked up with Siegel, and Wagner was in prison, I think, for shooting his lover in the dick. Like he caught his his wife's lover. Um, you know, who was cheating on him, uh, caught them together, and I think he shot him in the balls or something, and ended up in prison. So he came out of prison. He wanted to make a prison movie, right? And so he hooked up with um, Don Siegel, and they, they and here's the point I'm getting at. They, they hired, like, people that were real, like, authentic people who had been in prison, like Leo Gordon had just hit the scene. You know, he was in the war. He got kicked out. Right. It wasn't, I don't know, yeah, he was in the war. He got kicked out of the service. But he also, like, was a, was a guy who robbed a bar and got shot in the belly by the cops and spent, like, five years in, in prison. I think he was in, which one was it? Uh, uh, one, of the, one of the prisons out west. And, and so he was one of the leads in the, in the film. Yeah, and then Neville right. Brand, who was the lead in the film, like, he was in – he was in the war, and he was like highly decorated silver silver star. And the point was, when you look at this this package of guys that were making the movie, they had a hell of a backstory. They're real interesting characters. They weren't sitting around, you know, uh, in a room fantasizing about what it was like to be one of these hard men, because they kind of were hard men. They were hard men. And um, and and one of the things that, that I reread Don Siegel's chapters on this in his biography autobiography before I um uh, started thinking about the film some more. And you know, one of the other cool 
sort of tangential stories about uh, Riot and Cell Block 11, which is pretty cool, is, you know, he get, the producer asked him to hire this this young kid out of film school named Sam Peckinpah to, to be uh, Don Siegel's gopher, right? And Don didn't want nothing to do with him, so he was like, no, nah, fine, uh, whatever, I'll take him. And the guy's like, just, just, you know, just do it. You know, the, he's got a kind of a wealthy family that's involved with uh, uh, politics up in, let's see, what was it? Uh, Fresno. So... Siegel's like, fine, I'll take him on. So Siegel and his guys go to um, a bunch of prisons to figure out where they're going to shoot it. And they actually shot it at Folsom State Prison, right? So they're at Folsom meeting the uh, the, the warden in pre-production. And the warden wants, like, nothing to do with Siegel, nothing to do with the producer. He's got his head down through the whole thing, and he doesn't give a shit about him. And they're feeling like, oh, this is going to go really well. But they wanted to shoot at Folsom because they had one wing that was uh, open that they were going to be able to shoot in. Right. So as they're finishing up the meeting in the uh, in the office, they're introducing everybody else, and uh, the warden meets Sam Peckinpah. And the warden looks him in the eye and goes, are you the same guys related to the attorney general up in Fresno? And uh, Peckinpah goes, yes, that's, you know, my so-and-so uncle or whatever. And he's like, nice to meet you, nice to meet you. Whatever you guys need, you know, you got the whole prison. Which is what they got. They got the whole prison. They got all the extras. In fact, Peckinpah was the one who was signed to go and find all the extras. Like, Janie did 50 inmates, right? So he went out in the population overnight and got all these guys. So when they were getting ready to shoot the next day, his first piece of creativity he did for Siegel, and then he ended up being his assistant for like four or five films after whatever, was finding all these real prisoners to help with all these massive riot scenes that they had in uh, in the movie, which which show I mean you see in all these wide shots like hundreds of guys running around just anxious to like crack somebody over the head. So, uh, but anyway, this is my point I'm making is like this authenticity of real people making real films, and this is why I've always been drawn to people like Sam Fuller and who lived lives you know before they were really filmmakers, uh, because they could always translate these ideas much more authentically than anybody else. Yeah, that was that was a big difference between both the actors and uh, and the filmmakers back in the day. I mean, they they had careers that had nothing to do with film before that, or at least lives that had nothing to do be- with 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 you know the arts up to that point. So they had all these cool experiences to draw on. And that that little that little story, I never heard that story, Dave. That's a great story about Peck and Paul, but. Was that the first time that you could think of that they actually used real prisoners? Because since then, there's been definitely... I I imagine prison movies do that a lot these days, where they actually will go into prison and actually use actual inmates as extras, at least. Um, But, like, I can't imagine anybody doing that before... Uh, riot in cell block 11 I, I cannot think of it right i mean they've they'd hire guys that may have had experience like experiences of that sort but not actually get inside an actual prison and film with the real prisoners right and they have, i'm not sure about if anybody used them in any way but it's like i know that leo gordon who was an ex-con when he was being brought in they had to mention that he was and the warden almost kicked him out of the prison and kicked him off the movie because they couldn't even have the association really at that time of an ex-con coming in and working <laughs> with other cons around. And uh, they, I guess Siegel and the producer begged with the, with the warden and they were able to keep him on. Yeah. And, um, yeah, Leo so, yeah it was, was trickier back then to do that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's so, it's so funny because you mentioned those two actors. It's just a tiny aside. But you mentioned Leo Gordon and uh, and, and you mentioned... Uh, who, who, Neville the, Brand. Yeah, Neville Brand. When you look at those two guys... And you had to guess which one had been to prison and which one was a war hero, right? You'd never guess correctly, right? Because Neville Brand looks so evil. 
<laughs> and Leo Gordon yeah, looks Leo like, Gordon. Like, like your yeah, like Leo an uncle you want to have I mean, a beer I, with. I, I, yeah, I've enjoyed Leo Gordon over the years. In fact, he's in like one of my absolute favorite films, which is this Roger Corman picture called The Intruder. You know, he's like this 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 guy from the south. And I was I was reading up on him again, and uh, turned, you know, he's like six foot four, and they said he had these piercing blue eyes. You know, <laughs> that uh, you never saw in these great black and white pictures. But he he just commanded a frame. You know, more than it. Oh yeah, know, yeah, yeah. He, he was he was one of those you know, great side, you know, side characters. He never really got to be a star, but man, he always brought a lot of presence to any movie. And when he was a heavy, it was heavy. <laughs> you know what I mean? You couldn't, That's you're right. not going to put up Alan Ladd against that dude. You know, you need like a Mitchum, <laughs> at least a Mitchum to, to go against it. And it's funny because Mitchum also had been to prison, but always refused to make movies that had anything to do with prison. Did you notice hmm. that? There's never a prison an actual movie in which you see Mitchum in prison, except at the beginning of uh, Night of the Hunter. That's right. Uh, I'm not sure about Cape Fear, right? You never really see him in jail in Cape Fear, do you? Uh, but uh, but uh, that was a missed opportunity back, back then. Uh, Steve, now we talked about, like, the flexibility of the, of the, of the genre. Did you... Um, is there like like a weird like a totally weird prison movie that you enjoy particularly? I'm asking because I know the answer. Yeah, well, I watched a couple um, you know sci-fi-ish prison movies. I mean, one of them, um, a prison film, is Alien Three, <laughs> which is uh, not only one of the lesser, not beloved entries in the Alien genre, but it's also the very first film directed by David Fincher. That's right, Fincher's and, first movie. Uh, yeah, and uh, so I remember seeing that movie when I was in high school and uh, liking it okay. It's uh, it's one of those movies that never quite gels into what it could be. It's got some good things going on in it. Uh, some great uh, character actors in it. Charles Dance is in it. And um, what's the guy who plays Rock? Dutton. Uh, Charles S. Dutton. Charles Dutton. Yes. Yeah, big big movie for Charles's. And, yes. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it does look a bit like David Fincher, you know, had some work. And he did work in Hollywood. You know, he famously is one of the guys who worked on some of the effects on Return of the Jedi, a couple other things. But prior to this, he directed a lot of music videos. Right. And Alien 3 certainly um, looks like a video that was directed by a sleek music video director. Uh, fortunately for all of us, David Fincher went on from those uh, beginnings. You know, he did not, he had a better career than, say, uh, Mark Romanek or some of these other guys sure, sure. who. Um, that David Fincher can actually uh, cares about film and constructed narratives, but but yeah. Alien Three was kind of an interesting idea that, uh, and this is something I I like in general. I like when movies take like one genre and just plop it into another one. Exactly. Like I, you know, I really like the movie Winter's Bone, which is basically a film noir, but it's set like in rural Missouri. You know, it's is not I, I know, and this is pre the Ozark series, but. Right. Just the idea that you would take something. So Alien, you know, they needed a third Alien movie. And they t it's got all the stuff you would expect from an Alien movie. You know, there's there's things, things popping, popping out of the chest, chest and trying to eat you. But they just plop it into a prison. And, uh, and, yeah, so that was an interesting one. The other one I watched, which I know you guys have both probably seen a gazillion times, but a hole in my movie going, uh, a movie I'd never seen was Escape from New York. 
the John Carpenter classic from 1981. And uh, it's funny, my wife had never heard of this movie. And it's really, if you have met anyone who's never, ever heard of it, to just read the description of the movie is just absolutely fucking bonkers. <laughs> You're know, like, okay, so the movie, it's made in 1981. It takes place in 1997, which at the time, of course, was the future. So far away. And in the future, we're led to believe that America, we it's unclear how we came to this point, but we've just abandoned Manhattan. Right. Like, all of Manhattan, it's like, of all the places in the country that we're just going to be like, ah, fuck that. Like, we'll just make that a prison. Manhattan, the most valuable real estate in the entire country, they're like, just give it to the criminals. And so, uh, you know, man, I know you guys know the plot of Escape from New York, but it was just a bonkers plot. And as a, a newbie to it, I will say it, uh, it lives up. Uh, it delivers on all the bonkersness yeah. uh, that you want. And uh, great. I mean, it's directed by, of course, John Carpenter, who, uh, you know, John Carpenter, some movies are better than others, but I've got a, I've been watching a lot of John Carpenter recently and just have a lot of appreciation for just the camera movement and just compared to some other, like, hacky guys. Like, John Carpenter really does, um, yeah, he's just, he's a master. He's and a fine so, But, yeah, so I quite enjoyed Escape from New York. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, Kurt Russell... I, I don't know if you'd call that performance good. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's a little silly. I mean, it's I, mean, you, I could say it's unbelievable, but again, given the premise of the film, like, what's believable? So it's certainly entertaining. Uh, I also quite enjoy the fact that uh, it's never explained, as far as I know, why he had... I missed if they explained why he has an eye patch. He just has an eye patch. Somebody and, stabbed uh, him in the eye, Steve. What's that? Somebody stabbed him in the eye. Someone stabbed him in the eye. Got it. Well, I we also enjoy just that everywhere he goes on this prison, uh, he's like a celebrity. Everybody knows who he is. So. <laughs> I thought she was dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so Escape from New York. I know we had some debate pre-show about whether or not it qualified as a prison movie, but the uh, whole thing takes place on a penal colony. I mean, you know, if it was. A more realistic movie, you could have set the the same story in Australia in the 1800s, but they didn't. They set it in uh, Manhattan, the prison colony of 1997. I mean, assuming both you guys have seen Escape from New York, do you, uh, did, are you is that one of your favorite Carpenter films? Oh yeah, I mean, I I I saw that a couple times when it came out in the theater. I have really strong memories of going down to Evergreen Park to, to, with my cousin Mike. Who was a Southside Irish, and we would uh, we would see any. We I remember seeing the thing and anything that was the best R-rated action sci-fi film, and um, uh, that that is like one of my top three Carpenter pictures. And in fact, I, I think of Snake Plissken a lot. And, and I was shooting in Hollywood years ago, and um, Kurt Russell was there, and I, I was interviewing him, and he's like probably one of the only guys literally that I've asked to take a photo with like after I shot him right because I was like I gotta fucking do this right it's fucking Kurt Russell right, right. and I and all I all I could think of was 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 Snake Plissken right and I, I swear to God I hold up my fucking iPhone right and I'm I'm aiming it at us and my hand was shaking so much it was like embarrassing <laughs> and every some dude next to me was like dude I'll, I'll take the photo and it was like the only time I've been like completely blown by a you know a celebrity because it was Snake Plissken without the eye patch yeah, and yeah. uh 
but it, but uh, yeah, I, I have a big, I have a lot of fond memories for that film. And I think you know when it came out in the '80s too, it was like, you know, a lot of this sci- subversive sci-fi or these, you know, the, the types of things that you see in that movie have been done a million times now. There's lots of people who who owed a Carpenter for some of those vis- that visual strategies that he came up with back then. So yeah, I, I love that picture. Yeah, I do too. I just I still don't really see it as a prison film, guys. I mean, to, the, the, it doesn't. It 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 takes place in a penal colony, but it's a mission film. It's a man on a mission film. It's closer to Thunderball than it is to friggin' to the, the, the brute force. You know, it, that's just me. I know we have a disagreement in that. Feel feel free to prove me wrong. You know what? As long as it busts Steve Haskins' Escape from New York Cherry, then it's a good day for her to talk about. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. And and I I do kind of like Alien Three, Steve. I mean, it's uh, it's not the best Alien movie for sure, but it's certainly better than anything we've seen from that franchise in decades and now looking back at it now it's a pretty decent film it's it's creepy. yeah well i mean it and it has it's got the fincher revisionist history thing going for it like i remember when tim burton you know now he's not as revered as he was but there was a time where tim burton was held in pretty high regard and so then people would go back and look at Wee's big adventure which is like a fun movie but you know the act like it's some sort of like quiet masterpiece <laughs> it's like stretching it a bit you know so it's i feel the same way about alien 3 is like it's not terrible it's okay but because of you know the better movies fincher made later now people like to go back and act like well it's actually it's really great it's like i don't know if i go great but you know i haven't seen it in a long i I haven't seen it in a long time but i kind of remember when it came out which i think is the last time i kind of saw it 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 felt like the style got in the way of the story and maybe now that stuff is a little more accepted. You know, it's easier to sort of be patient. It's like when you watch Quantum of Solace, you know, the Bond picture. You're like, Jesus Christ, you know, stop. You know, but then I watched it like the other day and I'm like, oh, okay. You know, it's, it's, uh, I can feel what the director was trying to do a little bit more. So Quantum is underrated in my opinion, but that's for another podcast. I Quantum is definitely underrated amongst Daniel Craig pictures. Uh, but, uh, but, Again, we'll we'll talk about it maybe one of these days in a James Bond podcast. We'll do. Uh, Steve's got a lot of Steve's got twenty four films to view for that. For that. Oh my god! <laughs> so, yeah. so Andre, what a, what's a prison film you watched uh, in anticipation of our project here? Well, you know, there's there's been a few uh, besides the, the 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 existence that I'm living, which uh, certainly is better than being in an actual prison uh, in every single way. The food certainly is, uh, but uh, the movie that I that I I watched recently and I do and I want to recommend quite a bit is a movie called The Brawl in Cell Block 99. It's this guy Craig Zoller did it. This guy, this is the same guy who's kind of came on the scene with a movie called Bone Tomahawk, starring, of course, mm-hmm. the great Kurt Russell, Dave, Dave's good buddy. Um, and this one stars uh, Chicago's or Arlington Heights' own uh, Vince Vaughn as a brutish, you know, hulk of a man, a role that nobody has ever seen Vince Vaughn do before. And... Um, he plays one of those kind of reformed criminals. He's working a job. He's got a family, or he wants to start a family. And, and, you know, just a series of negative events put him back in the clink, where he almost, just by the force of inertia, 
gets into situations that he knows he's not going to come out of alive. And these are extremely violent riots and fights and various other things. The movie is kind of bad shit crazy on the violence end. A little bit maybe less crazy than Bone Tomahawk, but certainly consistently throughout packed with extreme brutality and violence and it's one of those films where it's kind of existential you know like you feel for the main character and again we talked about like suspending your judgment on characters who may be criminals well in the case of vince vaughn's character in 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 brawl and cell block 99 he's almost he's He's almost sympathetic. Like, you know he's a criminal, you know he's a murderer, you know what he's capable of, but you also realize that he's also kind of just trying to get by in this world and finds himself in this situation really by factors out of outside of his own control and uh, and then has to make choices that are really horrible horrible choices and um, the movie's kind of stunning it's unique it's definitely a b picture it's definitely low budget uh vince vaughn is really effective in the film and there's other like little good performances in that film including don johnson who who gets the evil warden role and um and he's great and um it's a cool film. I, I recommend it. It's um, it's streaming on um, it's uh, it's streaming on uh, Amazon Prime. Uh, so um, if you guys haven't seen it, or anybody in our audience uh, is uh, looking for some brutal prison fun, Brawl and Cell Block Ninety Nine, good way to go. Yeah, that I remember. I, I still haven't seen it yet, shamefully, but I remember you recommending that as a favorite when uh, the year came out. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. it's an interesting one, and it is a it is fairly conventional prison movie. You know, it's it's not an escape film, it's not a fight film. It's sort of um, again, it falls into this element of growth, individual growth slash survival while you are in the clink, you know, or hmm. not survival, uh, whatever. But you know, indiv- like kind of redeeming yourself as a human being throughout the events of the of the film inside the prison within the events of the film you know what i'm saying and uh, i always that that's always moved me you know because these guys finding some degree of um vindication finding some degree of self-worth again that that kind of plays with me in the genre i really enjoy that uh, enjoy seeing characters kind of go through a trans transformation and a process of redemption mm-hmm. yeah that, that sounds, sounds good. good you had me at bone tomahawk i gotta check that picture out yeah absolutely i think you'll enjoy that one and and again vince vaughn not an actor that a lot of people particularly love i i don't know why i think a lot of people I don't know. Is it me? Does Vince Vaughn get like a lot of negative unlove, shall we call it? I don't know. Uh, I, you know, I my, feel like he my theory, yeah, my, I, I was, was going to say, just to jump in, in my, my theory on him, you know, with all due respect to the Vince Vaughn films I like, um, I always felt like he was a bad Bill Murray, you know? It's like that same <laughs> slacky mentality, you know, I could do a little comedy, but I don't really care, and blah, blah, blah. Like, I, it just, it, it never, it felt derivative of, like, the Bill Murray that I grew up on, you know, and watched. I know what you're saying. So I never really bought his feel. And then when he, did the, when he did the True Detective one, it was just like, okay, you know, he's off my radar a little bit now, because I just, that one just didn't click for me as much. You know, uh, see, as, as true, I true Detective, I, uh, I mean, I... 
my opinion season on that two. season of True Detective is a, it's a mess, but I was riveted. And uh, I thought he should have gotten an Emmy nomination just for showing up and trying to say some of that shit. I, mean, like, <laughs> I felt like once an episode, he had some line that, like, you know, I'm sure when he first read it, he's like, are you, are you kidding me? And <laughs> so uh, I, I give him a lot of credit just for showing up and making it a test. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. I, I think he was he was ridiculously miscast in that show, but sometimes sometimes miscastings work, I suppose. And I and I think when you see him in this brawl in Cell Block ninety nine, Dave, I think uh I think like again, he is he is miscast in this role as well, but he, he put on a lot of weight, he he looks big and intimidating. I mean, he is also a large guy. He's like six five, and uh, yeah. with a little extra weight, uh, he could be an intimidating dude. And uh, it works really well in Cell Block Nine uh, uh, Brawl in Cell Block Ninety Nine by Craig Zoller, a catcher. Well, cool. uh, speaking of miscasting, I want to bring in. I watched uh, Animal Factory, the film Steve Buscemi directed from the year oh. two thousand. Have you guys seen that movie? Not yet. That was yeah. Good. But I know that movie was the project of the guy who played. Uh, who was he in the? Mr. Blue. He was Mr. Blue in Reservoir Dogs. Mr. Yeah. Blue, right? Mr. Blue. Yeah. His name is his name's Edward Bunker. He wrote a novel, and then uh, he also collaborated on the screenplay for this movie. Uh, Animal Factory is you know it's a story of uh, again it's like a kid who's like 21 gets thrown in prison and him trying to learn something about it that's the life he wants does he want to stay in there or get out and the main person who befriends him is a uh, Willem Dafoe and uh, as Andre and I have discussed like I, I'm a I'm a big Willem Dafoe fan I like him quite a lot I mean you know he's kind of an odd looking guy he also comes out of uh, an experimental theater scene in New York and uh, he's the quasi lead. I mean, the lead character is played by Edward Furlong, who uh, right. kind of mm-hmm. Terminator, who, Two. Terminator Two. Yeah, and uh, giving you about as much uh, <laughs> performance-wise. But uh, so Willem Dafoe is like the older, grizzled uh, guy who's been in there a long time, and I felt a lot of the movie just didn't work, and a lot of it came down to Willem Dafoe, which is that um, I just didn't buy him as a grizzled, realistic convict for a second. <laughs> like, like Willem the like the movie is not particularly like it's done in a very straightforward manner. Almost not not exactly like docu style, but just you know, there's no like artifice. It's just kind of like, well, that's the wrong way to put. I mean, it is kind of Hollywoodish, but I mean, it it it's not meant to be like a metaphor. Like it's supposed to just be like you're in prison. Like this is a guy in prison. This is what prison's like. Here's some stories about prison it's not necessarily like you said you know a hero's journey set in prison it's a film about prison and so Willem Dafoe like not for one minute did I buy him as like a hardened convict he seemed more like if you were making a more expressionistic movie where you know like the walls were all in your mind or something then maybe I could buy it but I don't know. It just seemed like who's this weird guy who doesn't seem at all tough enough to be in a prison? <laughs> That's a Especially because you know one of the other uh, inmates who's good buddies with Willem Dafoe's character is Danny Trejo, who is you know everyone's like default when I need someone who actually looks like a convict because right. he was. Right. Yeah. Right. So, just to see those guys two together, like in the movie, you're just like I I could not imagine the world where they would be interacting. 
<laughs> yeah, that's always a problem, and that's the sort of the, the the issue of realism in these films. Just how realistic are they? How realistic do you want them to be? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I you know, like everything else. I, I like I I know I know some gentlemen who's done a little time and. And their their main thing is like the boredom of the prison <laughs> being in prison. That is like like we can identify with this right right about now, right? Uh, could you imagine actually being locked up in a room without a TV and without yeah. some decent reading material and you know without your lady and uh, and you know for years? Uh, it's uh, it's definitely um, it's definitely different, you know. And, but but you if you try to make a a movie about the boredom of the prison life that would be uh that would be that would be weird right like how would you do that what movie approaches well, are closest i mean this i will say animal factory did have some uh it did have some elements of that and so did um a movie i know we're going to discuss in a little bit here called start up that you know they do acknowledge that but i don't yes. know if you could make that the primary Feature it's yeah. hard, but I mean the monotony. I mean, it, it, you see the monotony of things, especially like I keep thinking about Cool Hand Luke, you know, and the endless shots of these guys working on a chain gang. And obviously, this is a slightly different, again, kind of a different milieu for a prison movie where you have guys on a work farm and actually working incredibly hard physically just to be to get through the day. Uh, and, but you know that monotony gets gets very well played in Cool Hand Luke. Yeah, that's one of my favorite that's one of my favorite pictures ever. I mean, I, I didn't even rewatch it cuz I know it like the back of my hand, but um like when I cut down to like my top 5 or 10 films, that's like in there. You know, and and for for all sorts of reasons, but I mean, if anybody out there hasn't seen Cool Hand Luke, you know, do yourself a favor, get a nice clean copy of it that looks beautiful and uh and watch it. It's uh it, it's just a stunning movie. It just it, you can replay it a million times. I think in my, yeah, in in my mind, mind at least. And you nailed it. It's like beautiful. Like if you watch it, I think it's on Prime. If it's not, it's on the other one. But but uh, but it like looks great. Like for years, you we've watched these really cruddy TV made for TV edited copies of it, and now just to watch it in HD on a nice TV set, you see like man, that movie looks friggin' fantastic, and it's got a great supporting cast, like, it's obviously Paul Newman, you know, is, 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 is amazing in the film, but, but, you know, George Kennedy, and, and, uh, Harry Dean Stanton, and all these, like, little side characters in the film are so awesome, and that's another, there's a couple of elements that the, the movie does so well, is that sort of, uh, it, it really has almost every element of every great prison film, right? It's got a, it's got a sadistic though amazingly uh, charming uh, warden, right? Uh, it's yep. got a, it's got a great support staff. The other prisoners are great. They're 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 very like specific and uh, and I, weirdly convincing as con men. Even like there's like a well educated guy in there too. Uh, I forgot the actor who plays him right now, but you know, you know what I'm talking about in the film. And even he's convincing as a guy who, you know, embezzled some money from his company and ended up on the work bar, you know. And um, well, what's interesting about, I mean, just to jump in, I mean, what, and this is one of the things we brought up early is like what makes that film authentic too. It's written by a guy who was in prison, you know, Don Pierce. You know, it's like he was able to translate his novel as a screenwriter into a really decent movie. So, you know, it had some elements. And I think he was like the dragline character, if you were to transpose it. I think that's where 
that's that's the guy that he was, George Kennedy's guy. And you know, George Kennedy won like a best supporting actor for that film, and it got a ton of nominations, and it's on like the AFI list and Library of Congress. I mean, it's so uh, it's such a rich picture. And that's uh, and Connie Hall is the guy who shot it. You know, Conrad Hall, and he's another one of these guys. Like I, I remember he shot Road to Road to Perdition, and I was filming some uh, red carpet crap for uh, some station and. Connie Hall came back from the premiere, and I remember he walked in front of my lens to talk, and I just looked at him and winked. You know, it's like all I could do because you're like, oh my god, this fucking guy. You know, the stuff he shot over the years is just amazing. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was, he's probably one of my favorite uh, all-time cinematographers. That guy was a genius, and uh, and and again, that movie looks great, and 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 you know, just a visual thing. Like like we're used to, um, I think we're used to prison films being gritty and ugly. And most of yeah. them are, but not that one. <laughs> it's hot and sweaty. That one's hot and sweaty. It's hot and sweaty, but it's pretty, and you know, and Paul Newman is beautiful in it, and, and like all, it's 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 cool. But but like where I was going before, it has another thing in in that's present in a lot of really good prison films is. Uh, the central figure who is almost like a Christ-like figure, you know, um, who is. Yeah. Um, the rebel, you know, the guy who personifies rejection of authority in a positive way, not like a negative criminal way, but in a positive way. Somebody who is who is sort of a paragon of a man seeking freedom. And uh, no movie has a more, you know, iconic character of that type than uh, Cool Hand Luke, you know? Yep. I, I suppose Eastwood and Escape from Alcatraz would be the other one. Yeah, I don't know. I, I watched that the I watched that yesterday, the day before, to go with my Don Siegel double feature, and I actually enjoyed it. I, I expected to be a little bit bored by it, but there's something about like the sound design in it too, and the pacing, which really uh, I think is forgotten when you watch that film. I mean, it has you know the typical '70s stuff from late '70s stuff from Eastwood at the time, you know, where there's a little bit of racial tension and violence, and of course, you know, Patrick McGowan's freaking awesome in it, like the ultimate prisoner of all prisons, you know, Patrick McGowan. And um, so there's a lot of cool stuff in there, but you know, Eastwood kind of just—I I don't know if, if he—if he, unlike Cool Hand Luke, he doesn't exactly inspire everybody around him. He does by leaving, maybe, and you know, they close a prison like the same year in reality because it's based on a real story. But um, you know, Cool Hand Luke had a much d deeper kind of connection, I think, with the inmates than you'd ever find in in Escape from Alcatraz. Well, certainly. I mean, I, yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. Eastwood, Eastwood's uh, entire persona is not exactly that of a leader of men, right? Like, on the, like no. he often gets compared to John Wayne, whose whose persona definitely has that quality. Uh, but Eastwood is like an outsider. He's not particularly into a lot of uh, friendships and stuff like that. You know, his whole persona That's right. is more aloof. Uh, but he definitely has, uh, in that film, he definitely has that kind of relentless, you know, op objective to get out of there, to get the hell out of there. You're not even sure why he's driven by it. The warden doesn't help for sure, but there's this sort of drive in him that kind of reminded me a little bit of Cool Hand Luke, but probably a lot more realistic. Because Cool Hand Luke is just a... It's incredibly metaphorical. You know, like that movie does not try to be realistic too much. 
you buy you buy the milieu, but you, it's not real reality. It's it's a metaphor. It's really a Christ story in, in set in a prison, you know. And uh, and uh, I actually wrote a paper on it, so that was sort of my thesis on it. But you see these ah. images keep popping up. You know, he get he dies literally in a church. You know, like the the image of him is ripped and you know, in four, and it looks like he's on the cross, the last shot of the film. So that's, yep. that's, that's sort of the metaphorical nature of that film, but also the metaphorical nature of the entire genre, again, going back to it. The, the prison film, you know, it just represents society in a microcosm, you know? And I like that. Yeah. Cool. Uh, and it reminds me, you know, you were talking about Patrick McGowan, and of course, you know, the flexibility of the genre, and people forget how how much television has been set in prison, right? I mean, we had seasons worth of Oz, one of the best TV shows to come out of HBO, and that's saying something, right? HBO has been great. And Oz is a really, really cool cool series set entirely in a prison, in a high-security prison, and the politics of the prison. And, and again, and it's a pretty brutal you know, world to hang out with in for... Uh, uh, seven seasons <laughs> but yeah. he's got some great performances jk simmons really stands out our old buddy terry kinney uh, is the lead in that and uh and there's a lot of uh, just a lot of great performances a lot of great characters i really love that film but of course one of my favorite tv shows and arguably one of the greatest tv shows ever made is a prison tv show it's called the prisoner right and that's not set in a prison that we've we've ever seen before but that is definitely a prison show, right? Absolutely. I mean, uh, that was an, uh, ever since they've been broadcasting those on uh, PBS. Let's say in the in the late seventies and eighties. I mean, that's been um, on my radar as one of the best pieces of television ever. And all that stuff holds up. I mean, I I, I always get the DVD sets and the Blu-ray sets and whatever they keep putting out to to sort of give you more and more of it. Um, and, 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 and McGoon was a really interesting actor too at the time. I mean, in the late '60s, he was he had already had a, a pretty good catalog of decent films, and of course came off Secret Agent Man, and then pitched this idea of the prisoner. You know, the secret agent who, you know, can't tell his secrets, so uh, you know his bosses, so to speak, throw him on a on a, in a village that he can't escape from. And so, uh, I mean, we could do a whole show about that. But anybody who hasn't delved into the prisoner. Uh, uh, have fun and uh, and don't put it on too late at night because uh, be, there's a lot to think about as you watch it. Yeah, yeah, The Prisoner is fantastic. If I really had to, if anybody walks away with any recommendations from this show, I would say The Prisoner would be the thing to watch. Uh, it is quirky. It's fantastic. The prison is not a prison. It is, in fact, like a vacation spot. So essentially, it's <laughs> our life right now. We're just... You know, we have all the amenities that we ever need, and yet we can't really go anywhere or do anything. So uh, it's it's a it's a show of its time, but it's also a show that comfortably transcends its time and uh, ends up being the show of our time. And the ideas on that in that show are really have not aged a, a lot. You know, like I I, I did rewatch the entire show, and it's only like what. 13 episodes? How many episodes of The Prisoner? Is it 17? I think 17, yeah. 17. 17 episodes. So that's all you really need. And it's got a, you know, it's got a controversial ending that some people are going to love, some people are going to hate, but uh, it's part of the show. But it's great, and it's yep. really, really interesting intellectually. Visually, it's scrumptious because, again, it's set on this idyllic island. I believe it was shot somewhere in Scotland, right? Uh, 
very beautiful port scenery. Yeah, yeah it, was in, it was in Wales, port, port, uh, Hotel, Hotel Port Mary. Port, yeah, Wales, beautiful, just beautiful. And uh, and the, the new transfers of it are gorgeous, right? I mean, it looks fantastic in HD, colorful, uh, and uh, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, like, it's a great TV show to watch because it doesn't, in fact, age. It's aged like no. fine wine, in my opinion. Yeah. Something that sounds good right awesome. now. Another thing they don't give you in prison alcohol not enough alcohol <laughs> you know speaking of television i think another good name drop of good prison stuff lately that came out was this uh escape at denimora that showtime did this seven episodes based on that upstate new york i think uh prison escape ben stiller directed it man that was some of the best television i've seen in the last few years i mean anybody who hasn't caught that that limited series has got to check that out because uh Benicio del Toro's in it, and um, who He's else is in there? Fantastic in that. Uh, was that 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 kid Paul uh, uh, Paul uh, Dano from uh, their world Oh, Paul Dano, Dano and yeah, Patricia Arquette. Arquette. Man, that thing is just freaking brilliant. Did, Did you see that film, Steve? That that show? I have not. I know what you're talking about. I've heard it talk, but uh, no, I have not seen it. Yeah, Escape at Denimore definitely got some uh, Emmy love for uh, for Ben Stiller and. Uh, and it is it is a cool it's it's really really cool and and again that 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 shows all about the performances. It's got just great actors doing great acting, <laughs> and uh, and you just kind of, and 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 it's extremely realistic because they actually filmed some of it at the Denimore prison and uh, amazingly were allowed to do so <laughs> and uh, you've got a good uh, great supporting cast and uh, it's a pretty cool show. It's not for everybody. I'm gonna I'm gonna admit it. It's not for everybody. And, and it's tough to spend, you know, 12 hours in a prison. But, uh, but it's definitely beautifully done. Great performances. Yeah, and Ben Stiller, I think Ben Stiller's like an underrated director because when you look at like Secret Life of Walter Mitteo and, and, and Cable Guy and um, Tropic Thunder, I mean, those are like really strong, like assured movies to watch. And uh, when I saw him tackle this drama in particular over this, these many episodes, I was like, holy shit, man. You know, this guy does is choosing some really interesting work and, and can really handle it in a way. You know, that's that's uh, that's, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I also I had a personal encounter with uh, with Ben Stiller many, many years ago that I'll tell you about later. Uh, not not as fun as your uh, Kurt Russell. Uh, <laughs> encounter. Ah, but uh, but Steve, both you and I watched that movie that's on HBO from I think 2012 start up and uh, both very impressed by that film right I, I, I mean I, yeah I, I, yeah I, I liked it a lot it's a uh, you know it's a Scottish film it's uh, directed by this guy who's uh, I think a long time ago I saw a movie called Young Adam it's about heroin addicts in Scotland uh, David a pretty cool soundtrack that David Byrne did yeah David uh, McKenna kind of came to it Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so this is a movie about uh, a very young kid in um, in prison. You can watch it on Netflix, which is where I watched it. Right. Um, it has um, Ben Mendelsohn, uh, a favorite of Film Driven, is uh, in a role on it. Uh, I will say it is one of those films that, as an American, I had to put the subtitles on, sure. even though it is, uh, in theory, in English. Sure. sure. <laughs> uh, the accents are so thick. Um but yeah, this is this. It's got a lot of brutality in that movie. Uh, there's some father-son things too, but uh, it, it it's just it's really well done. Like it's shot really cool. Everything's great. The performances are great. It also features this trick that I'd never seen until uh, 
kind of another prison movie, that movie Bronson. Bronson. Andre, yeah. I know we both like. Yeah, in Bronson, and then uh, the character Eric, the main character in Startup, does right. this trick too. I'd never seen before, which is where before you get in a fight with the prison guards, you like get naked and grease yourself up. That's right. And, uh, I mean, like, in Bronson, it was like he'd get fully naked and just butter himself, and, like, it was like a thing. But uh, but this, uh, the Eric Love, in the point, does this with baby oil. And, and, and the guards, they see him lather it up, and then they have, I think they throw sand on him. So I'm just, I don't know what they the fuck They have a countermeasure to the baby oil. Yeah, well, that's what, I'm just fascinated by the idea that in British prisons, that, like, this stuff happens so frequently that the guards are like, oh, yeah, the old baby oil trick. Don't worry. We've got the sand. And that even, like, in this movie, we're led to believe that, you know, by age 19, this guy is like, all right, I'm in trouble. I know what comes next. Time to lather myself in oil so I can fight ten guards. <laughs> you see, I got the feeling that he actually saw the movie Bronson. That, and you know, it's possible. Up the from watching Bronson. <laughs> um, I mean, both that movie and Bronson made me think. One time, uh, John Malkovich was on Letterman or something, and I, they were discussing his travels around the world, and somehow the concept of getting into a fight came up. And he was saying that, you know, anywhere you go, like, nobody really wants to get into a fight. Like, people, you know, would rather just live. And then he paused and corrected himself, and he said, actually, some of the British. Like, <laughs> and, uh, and these movies do come up with the idea that there's, oh, that it's about certain segments of society that seem to almost, like, it's not like, oh, I stole things and then I got in trouble. It's like, no, I actively welcome this. <laughs> and uh, I mean, but start up with the father element. You know, his dad is also a convict and right. in the same prison. And start up has a lot. You know, it's kind of it delves into nation. Like, is redemption possible, especially when you're in like a multi generational cycle? Cycle, exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. And it, so it definitely falls within that redemption archetype of the movie. And it is it is very interesting because of that second generation thing, where his father you'd think would his father who's kind of a has some um, has some authority within the prison ecosystem, right? And you'd think like he would be helpful to him, but. Uh, Half the time, he ends up pretty much fucking up his son, you know, because... And his son, yeah. on the other hand, ends up severely undermining him. They actually mess each other up in this in this environment, you know, where, like, human emotion is really not your friend. <laughs> where you don't want it. Yeah. But, I, I mean, it's a fairly brutal film, but I did enjoy that a lot of the little... The, even plot plot points or even thematic stuff it was kind of underplayed in this movie i mean like there's a lot of violence but in terms of you know like relationships where people figure things out and like sometimes it's just dumb with one line or a nod or a wink and i kind of enjoyed all that that it wasn't they didn't really beat you over the head uh, uh, explaining explain everything exactly they beat the main character over the head though a lot of people do get beaten over the head in the course of the film, so don't do not fear audience audience members. You will get plenty of that. And of course, I'm so glad you mentioned Bronson. I love Bronson. It's a crazy ass movie. Uh, I don't really know if it 
if it is actually a prison movie, I guess it is. Uh, but it's just so insane and, and so entertaining and has such a dynamic performance by uh, uh, Tom Hardy. It was kind of a the, yeah. made his career. Uh, yeah, it's kind of like the Tom, Tom Hardy, Hardy breakthrough performance. It was, right? it was, it was great. It was great. Uh, and uh, and it, it's really, it's an entertaining film. It's a brutal film. But again, you know, you're probably not going to catch a, too many prison films that are not, in fact, brutal. Uh, I would say the one exception is the Prisoner TV series, which has very little violence, uh, yeah. relatively speaking, but uh, still has some. Uh, but man, Bronson and Startup, super friggin' violent, for sure. Uh, and um, I don't know, what's, uh, what does that lead us to, Dave? Well, there's two things. One, we could either talk about transcendental style in film and go with like Robert Bresson and that type of prison film, which is one of my favorites. But, you know, the other thing that we, we talked about, I, I remember uh, when you introduced me, it, it introduced me to do this thing was um, the women, women in prison films and that there was that whole subgenre in the 70s of the AIP type exploitation picture. And, you know, of course, there's Orange is the New Black on TV, which I saw, I think I saw like five or six seasons of before I kind of got tired of it. But um, I, I decided to go back and revisit this John McNaughton film. You know, John's from Chicago and I wanted to give him a little bit of love. And I, I remember he did this picture called Girls in Prison, which was actually a Showtime produced series um, that was called Rebel Highway. And I, I'd forgotten about this, this thing from 94. And what it was, was they got a bunch of AIP properties together and they, they approached a bunch of different directors and they said, hey, do a feature, you get final cut, you got to shoot it in 12 days and you got to pull it from AIP's library, like the source material. So guys like uh, Robert Rodriguez, John Milius, Joe Dante, William Friedkin, Ralph Bakshi and others like John McNaughton grabbed a piece. And um, John McNaughton did a film called Girls in Prison, which was written by Sam Fuller and his wife. And it was basically like this period piece from the 50s, like all this AIP stuff was, and uh, about, you know, a, a collection of girls who end up in prison, much like brute force, because, you know, they they had they were doing something morally correct, you know, but it got them in trouble. And uh, and it's this very loose sort of AIP homage um, that, you know, has lesbianism in it and violence and you know, all the earmarks of a great Sam Fuller film, it feels like shot corridor a lot of times because there's always this point where, you know, the girls might go insane, you know, for whatever reason. So there's that that whole subtext going on in it. But uh, but when I watched again just last night, it reminded me of like Hairspray and Crybaby and those films that John Waters did where they were talking about all the social comment underneath a certain decade like the 50s, right? So... um it felt great to watch that again, not just for the reasons I mentioned, but just that sort of like freewheeling filmmaking of like going out with your friends and knocking something out in, in 12 days in this case. And, uh, it was actually kind of a joy to watch. It was actually funny. It wasn't always coherent at times, you know, but I felt like, hell, that was great. And and I wanted to go back and now watch all the other films. Cause I don't think I've seen all of them. You know that we're from this uh, Rebel, Rebel Highway, Highway series, series. but right, but that sounds like a it, great project. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're going to watch it, start with Girls in Prison, you know, and and, and move on from there. But uh, that was kind of a kick. I, yeah, yeah I'd, lo I'd love great. to track that down. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds awesome. And you know that whole Women in Prison movie. I've always found those films to be just you, you, 
just too exploitation for my taste. Not a giant exploitation film fan, generally speaking, but but especially that genre seemed to be all about just taking attractive women and putting them in inside a kind of pseudo erotic voyeuristic situations where you see them in showers and lesbianism and that kind of stuff. And strangely enough, I was never attracted to that, and so I haven't actually watched a lot of these films. Um, and um, so that that would be kind of interesting. It would be an interesting place to start. And you know, we were talking about the the sub genre or the sub sub genre of the prison film. And you know, I, I mentioned the sports film, and uh, you know, there was a film that came out a couple of years ago called The Prayer Before Dawn. I don't know if you guys have seen it. I think it's also on Prime. Uh, it's directed by this, I think this French guy, but based on his name, Jean-Stéphane Souvier. And it's a film starring um, this kid, um, Finn Cole. Uh, I believe Finn Cole is uh, known for the TV show Peaky Blinders. He's one of the brothers, uh, John, I believe. Oh, yeah. and, um, and he made this movie that was based on a book. Again, a true story, which seems to be a, an ongoing motif with this, is uh, stuff based on true stories. And there's this true story about a guy who goes to prison in Thailand, and, um, and he had a, had a background in, uh, in Thai boxing, and, um, and is a complete heroin addict. And he goes to prison in Thailand and survives by boxing essentially by becoming a a boxer within the prison and that movie is amazing to me because like when you watch it you know we talked about using real prisoners as background characters when you watch that movie i don't know how they filmed that i i really don't i mean first of all it's a it's a european co-production that's set that's filmed entirely in thailand almost every actor in the thing is thai and some of, and it looks like it was filmed in the friggin' prison. Like I do not understand how they did that movie, and um, it's just from that perspective, it's really impressive, and it's a pretty cool film too. Really different. I liked it. I recommend it highly. A Prayer Before Dawn. Nice. Yeah. All right. Check it out, and uh, you know, I and you know, I goes along with s- some some other favorite sports uh, prison movies. You know that. Body and Soul Pictures from the early 80s. Uh, and uh, Victory, of course, starring the immortal pairing of Michael Caine oh, and God. Sylvester Stallone. And Pele. I remember that. I saw that when it first came out. I don't know if I'm dating myself. but that was Yeah, that's a trip, man. Thanks for reminding me of that. Victory is fun because that falls into that World War II prison film that deals with prisoners of war. So... So the whole moral thing is a little mixed up because these are our guys in a German prison camp. So they're not criminals. They are soldiers, and they're soldiers on our side. And their mission becomes mainly escape. And uh, not dissimilar from the great film, The Great Escape, which is great, and, of course, everybody should see that. Um, This one revolves around a soccer match that they staged with the German guards. So it's kind of like a cross between the Great Escape and the Longest Yard with soccer. You know, and, uh, sounds great. Let's, Let's shoot, shoot it. it. I know, yeah. man. It sounds awesome, man. Of course, the late great Max von Sydow plays 
the the <laughs> warden of the camp, and he's fantastic. And again, like the cast, you know, like you just like Michael Caine and Sylvester Stallone. How could that not be good? You know, it's impossible. So uh, let me let guess, guess. Sylvester, Sylvester Stallone, Stallone is the goalie. <laughs> you I know it. Well, because he's, he's the American. He doesn't know how to play the game. This is the 40s. He was like a football player, so he didn't know how to play soccer. So they put him on goal. Uh, like yeah. that's the easiest job on the field. <laughs> Anyways, um, I, I highly recommend victory. If, uh, if you watch it, it's silly. It's not what you call a good movie, but it is certainly an entertaining movie. Uh, and, uh, you know, you will be entertained. What else we want to give a shout out to boys? You know, when you guys invited me to do this again, I was like flashing back into my catalog of, of my life, trying to figure out which films I really wanted to, to share with people. And um, I'm, I've always been a big Robert Bresson fan, and I think I got that way in film school. You know, I, was, I, I went into Columbia College, and I was just, you know, super psyched with all sorts of movies in my head. And I got introduced to these um, these these what I call the transcendental filmmakers that you know Paul Schrader's book Transcendental Style introduced to me, which was uh, Robert Bresson, um, Dreyer, and Ozu, and so I watched all these films back then, and it, it really corrupted my style as a filmmaker to my deficit, really, because I came out of school wanting to simplify and do things that were not commercial at all, and I think, quite honestly, I think a lot of my stuff got got. Uh, overseen because people weren't interested in watching the pace that I was presenting to them at that point. And certainly with the Robert Bresson picture, you know, A Man Escape from 1956, if you watch that picture, you see, you know, how it's it's very documentary driven, meaning that it's it's only showing you very specific things. You know, he uses a bunch of non-actors to tell this, again, a true story. You know, it's based on this guy, Andre Devigny, who escaped from the prison during World War II as a French resistance fighter um the director himself Brisson, was in the french resistance and spent some time in a, in a prison too uh but this film has this like this this very careful style very minimalist and um but in the process of watching it it creates a, a very unique emotional kind of attachment to the material and i've always enjoyed watching that every few years i um I put on his work, and um, it's easy to find either Criterion or Kino or somebody's got it. But uh, that's, again, one of these films that's ranked, like, in the top 100 films of all time by, like, Sight and Sound and all these people. So um, if, if you want to really go off the grid and see something uh, that's not uh, uh, Shawshank Redemption, um, I would go with a film like A Man Escaped. And, again, don't put it on too late at night because it will <laughs> challenge your attention because it, it, its style does serve this sort of super minimalist approach, which uh, I'm a huge fan of nowadays. <laughs> Is there such a thing as night anymore? It doesn't even matter, does it? It's just all a big circle. <laughs> You know, the other day I was up really late. We, 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 we've been binging uh, Bosch, you know, the fucking uh, detective Bosch, which took us like three and a half seasons to realize we were engaged in it. But uh, the other night I was able to watch like six in a row. It was like two in the morning. I'm like, how the hell did I do it? You know, and I realized I had a Coke. I opened a like, can of Coke at like eight at night. And that's, that helps a lot to like, you know, keep the, keep the show going at night. I think we could all safely take away that uh, Coke does keep you up at night. Uh, <laughs> and uh, 
I don't know. I, I mean, I, I feel like ending right there and then, but um, but I do have a couple of films that, that I kind of enjoy that, that, that I give kind of uh, measured recommendations to because I don't think they're amazing films per se, but I find them like strangely watchable genre pictures. And I think it's important to point out that there is an element in, in, in prison films that very often keeps them at a certain level, it almost like stops them from being masterpieces of cinema um, because they have a little bit of an exploitative genre aspect to them. And uh, th that's not an insult. That is, uh, that is just a fact of the genre, right? And, uh, and the two films I'm going to talk about, first one's called Get the Gringo. It starts Mel Gibson, and uh, it's mm. this guy, Adrian Grunberg, directed it. It's um, it's one of those films. Remember, Steve, when you and I did the Mel Gibson retrospective after it seemed oh, yes. like yeah. Mel Gibson had set his career on uh, on fire with uh, some crazy ass behavior and massive drunkenness and a lot of coke, and uh, and, and uh, we were kind of wondering whether he was going to come back as an actor. Well, he made a, a couple of small budget films after that, and one of them, and the best one in my opinion, is called Get the Gringo. And that movie is set in a Mexican prison. And it's basically about a guy who commits a crime in the U.S., goes over the border, and then has to do time in Mexico. And what's interesting about it is you get to see the Mexican prison, which apparently is very, very different from the American prison. Right? I mean, people live with their families in Mexican prisons. The, a prison is really just a giant area that's walled off. You can't leave it, but within it, it's almost like a village. But there are guards, and you can't escape, right? But uh, you could leave there. You could live in those prisons apparently with your family and your children. Uh, so that creates a really weird dynamic. And uh, and him being a gringo who only speaks limited Spanish, he has to kind of find his way around this this place. It's really interesting. It's kind of culturally interesting. Uh, the movie is well structured. It's very well paced. It's fun. It's got a good plot. Um, Mel Gibson's great in it, and uh, and everybody else is too. It's a it's a it's a tight little film. I highly recommend it. And um, the other one I'm going to give a shout out to is called The Shot Caller, and that I believe is on Netflix. Get the Gringos on on um, on Prime. Uh, the Shot Caller is on Netflix. Um, Nicholas Clusterwaldo stars in it, and uh, it's kind of interesting because one of those films, it's not entirely set in the prison, uh, but uh, what happens in the film basically to set it up is a white-collar guy does something very, very terrible, and through a weird quirk of the justice system, he ends up in a high-security prison with like murderers and rapists and career criminals, and he has to survive. And uh, in order to survive, he joins the gang that fits his ethnicity, which is the Aryan Brotherhood. And um, then, of course, once he gets out of prison, he has to sort of deal with the uh, side effects of being a member of the Aryan Brotherhood outside of prison, where they still expect them to work for them. It's really, it's a, it's a weird plot. Uh, it's interesting. It's got a really good cast. There's a lot of cool actors in it. It is a movie that doesn't have as much prison as you would expect. Most of it actually does take place on the outside. But um, the stuff that's in prison is fairly memorable, and, um, and the movie's kind of cool. So 
Highly recommended. The Shot Caller. It's on Netflix. Well, and an important lesson, too, right, about, you know, be careful of making packs with the Aryan Brotherhood because they can come back to haunt I would say any gang that that, that is active in prison is going to, you know, you're going to get tapped from for some uh, freelance work once you go outside. Maybe tapped is the wrong word, uh, or at least a bad choice of words. But uh, sorry, guys, I'm getting silly now. But uh, it's all this incarceration is driving me crazy. I don't know if I, I don't know if I can handle prison. Honestly, you guys, which one of the three of us do you think would survive best in prison? Hmm. Great question. Not I'm me. kind of a, I'm, I'm kind of like a shiv guy. I'm not like the grease my body up guy. So I have, I just have a shiv. Yeah. You know what? Let's think about that on our off time. But, uh, but Dave, thanks so much for joining us on this thing. And, uh, and uh, hopefully we, will, we, can, we can be released soon, and, or paroled at least, and uh, see each other in person and get in our car and uh, maybe get you, uh, get you as a passenger one more time for, uh, for another installment of Film Driven. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Dave. So, uh, yeah, hopefully, maybe, uh, we're not sure when we'll be back with you again. We might have some more quarantine recommendations, but we're hoping to get back in the car sooner than later. Right, Andre? Let's hope so. Let's hope so. Keeping our fingers crossed. I'm crossing off the days on the wall of my room, and uh, that's not going over well. That, that uh, the whole, like, check marks on the wall, not good. But, uh, but I like it, and I'll keep doing it. So there you go. Because I'm a rebel. Just like Cool Hand Luke. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so, on that note, uh, I'm Andre Shane. I'm Steve Askin. All right. We'll see you next time on Film Driven. Bye-bye.